Well, good morning. Our uh, passage is in Luke chapter 13. Um, we'll be looking at verses 22 to the to verse 30. You have our Bibles. You turn there. Let me read this, and then I will um, pray. But before I do that, for those who are new here to Redeemer Fellowship, we are so glad that you're here. We have a blue card that we would love for you to fill out. And uh, there is a kind of name and information you can put in the front. And on the back, there's just kind of some fun questions that you can circle if you'd like. Um, and if you do that, we'll have a gift for you. And please uh, come to the back table there. There's like a metal uh, aluminum that is around this table right in front of the wall. And if you would turn that in, and we have a gift that we'd like to give you, we're going to make sure that you get connected to Redeemer Fellowship Church. So please do that. The second thing I'm going to have you do is, uh, if you've been here a few different times, but you're not really volunteering in any way, and you're having that sense of guilt, like, ah, I should be serving, but I don't know where to serve, and uh, I kinda, you just kind of, every Sunday morning, you kind of just make a beeline to the door, and you just kind of forget to really ask and talk about it. I understand, I've been to churches before, and, but there's a great card in the, on that table in front of the wall, and it says volunteer at Redeemer. And basically, you put your name, you put your phone number, and just put three different ideas that you would like or areas you'd like to serve. We have a few examples for you. You can pick from one of the examples in the paragraph, or you can make up one. Maybe some area that you think, hey, I'd like to serve in this way. And maybe they don't have it on the card, but maybe they, they have Maybe they can start something. Maybe they have this, but they haven't listed it there. So please do that. And if you just leave it on the table, we'll make sure to connect you to the right person. Appreciate that. So Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 22. And he went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from the north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some who are first will be last. Let's pray. So Lord, we come to you this morning asking that you would speak to us through your word, Lord, that you would speak through me, Lord, your servant, Lord, that you would teach your people. Those in this room who are not followers of Christ, Lord, I pray that you would challenge them through your word. Lord, uh, show them, Lord, that they need to repent and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Lord, for the forgiveness of their sins. Lord, we pray for those who are not with us because of sickness, for those who are quarantining, pray for those who are not with us because they are, have been told that they're not allowed um, in the school that they go to. Lord, we pray for Seth right now, Lord. We pray for him and his family. We pray, Lord, that you would encourage him, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen him this morning. We pray that you would use our church and his friends to encourage him and to, Lord, to, to, that they would pray for him 
and that they would um, not just allow his presence not being here just to kind of just kind of slowly diminish, but that they would continue to reach out to him and continue to support him. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for uh, your church. And pray, Lord, that you would use this church to further your kingdom, which you're already doing, as you'll hear later on today. We praise you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of this uh, sermon is I'm Going on an Adventure, which didn't uh, uh, indicate pretty quickly what that was from. It's from the movie The Hobbit. Um, and uh, I'm going on an adventure because I really want to talk about um, imagination and the, uh, the importance of stories in our lives. Uh, for anyone uh, who, I don't know, some of you are either you're into literature or you're into movies or television shows. We're all into stories of some sort. Either we're into Lord of the Rings, right? There's a reason why we like Lord of the Rings. And it's not because we like sword fights and we like goblins and we like, we like us, you know, bow and arrows and things. But those things are in there. But that's really not why we like Lord of the Rings. We like it because Especially Lord of the Rings, we get the we get this model of the unexpected hero, right? That Frodo and the hobbits, while small and insignificant, are the heroes of the story. We like that because it makes us feel like we can be heroes, right? Uh, we like the the Hobbit as well because you have Bilbo who's sacrificing for others, right? He's leaving his home, his comforts of his his home and his neighborhood to do what? To help dwarves, right? That's why he leaves. He wants to to go, and he literally goes on this great adventure and he basically puts his life in danger so that he can help this group of dwarves to go back home. We like Harry Potter because we like the value of friendship. Like, it, yeah, yeah, we like the magic and the things that are going on, but really we like the friendships that are happening, right? The, these, these, these kids that have, who literally are going through the school together and going through all these challenges and having to endure through all these, these major, uh, uh, huge conflicts against good and evil, but they're doing it together as friends. We like stranger things, right? Why? Because we like friendships. We like these friends doing these crazy things and challenging and battling against these crazy monsters together. One of my favorite shows is uh, The West Wing. And the reason why I like The West Wing, yeah, it's about politics, but really it's about thoughtful people who are dedicated to serving their country. Typically, when you have a TV show, you'll have like police officers, you'll have soldiers. And they'll have this kind of show of dedication to their country. But now you have a show where it's about the, the people who work in the White House and how they're dedicated to uh, not, not only they're, they're thoughtful people, but they're dedicated to their country. And the thing about Christianity, the, the Christian faith is really journeying people who are journeying, journeying to, uh, to the, the next kingdom. That we are journeying, we are going through conflicts, we are having to do it together. We're as, as a church, as one people, as a family of God, we have to do what? We have to uh, fight against sin together. We have to fight against the Satan and, and evil in the world together. And we journey to our eventual home. We live and model our Lord who came into the world and journeyed to the cross to save the world. We, like Christ, are journeying together to a destination. We like stories. We like what it means. It, it makes us, it models how we ought to live in a lot of ways. And really the context of Luke chapter 13, there are some, some issues that Jesus has been dealing with even in chapter 12, and the issues of blind spots, that the Pharisees have blind spots. The Pharisees are trusting in their status, 
But Jesus calls them out that their religion and their morality is worthless if they don't trust in him. He, he calls out the materialists, those who trust in their possessions, when he does the, the parable in chapter 12 of, of the man with the rich, the parable of the rich fool who trusted in his wealth. He, 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 he indicates this blind spot that the trusting in wealth is not enough. It's not sufficient to save your soul. He calls out the blind spots of the ancients who are constantly worried and they trust in control and they can have enough and they can make sure they gather enough and they can make sure that they'll that they have everything they need, then they'll be at peace. But he's saying there's no reason to be anxious because God will provide. So there's no reason to be anxious if you're constantly worried. He, he calls out the blind spots of the busybodies, those who trust in their activities and then what does the story say? That they are distracted when the master comes back. So he calls out those who are trusting in their busy body and their, in their activities. He, he calls out the foolishly wise, those who trust in knowledge. He calls out the arrogant who trust in their morality. Now, none of these items will qualify anyone for Christ's kingdom. And that is the big theme and topic is Christ's kingdom. He talked about the, in the story before of the disabled woman. The kingdom of Christ doesn't need uh, missionaries with advanced degrees to reach the nations, right? Because the mustard seed is, a, is the, an indication that the kingdom of God will grow. And it will grow to a, to a, a 15-foot tree that will have uh, branches that birds can make their nests in. Maybe Jesus does not need missionaries. He doesn't need seminary students. He needs the gospel will go forth and the kingdom will grow. The same with 11, the kingdom of Christ doesn't need Kanye West to be a Christian to make it influential. The gospel does not need some celebrity like Chris Pratt to be a Christian for it to be influential. That's the, the indication, the, the parable of the, the leaven, and it, it, it will influence the lump. The kingdom of Christ has an unexpected nature, and that mystery is going to be revealed. And it's far, it's a far greater revelation than any any major TV shows and some cliffhanger revelation. The revelation of Christ is the, in, in the kingdom of God and who's going to be in the kingdom of God is the great mystery to be revealed. As Paul says in, in Ephesians chapter 3. So let me give you the, the main idea. The main idea for this, this sermon is that Christ journeyed to Jerusalem to suffer for the salvation of those who strive to enter the narrow way, or the narrow gate, or the narrow door. Christ journeyed to Jerusalem to suffer for the salvation of those who strive to enter into the narrow way. And uh, point number point number one is that Christ journeys to the cross to save the unexpected few who strive to journey in Christ. Christ journeys to the cross to save the unexpected few who strive to journey in Christ. And I love how this story starts. We have this transition here, and it says here, Paul says, I mean, Luke says, Jesus went on his way. He journeyed through town and village, teaching and journeying, making his way towards Jerusalem. Journeying is a major motif in the entire Bible. There's always these stories of, of people journeying to different places from going from point A to point B. You think of Noah and his family. Obviously, they weren't walking, but they were in a boat, right? And, and how the flood happened and how they were protected by God through the flood water. You think of Abraham and his family who journeyed from, from, their, from the city of Ur all the way to Canaan, right? They'd never even been to Canaan. They didn't know anything, anything about Canaan, but that God provided 
and God, and they trusted God. Think of Jacob and Joseph and their family when they journeyed to uh, Egypt. Obviously, Joseph was sold into slavery, but Jacob and his family journeyed to Egypt during the famine. Think of Moses and the Exodus and the people of Israel, the millions of people who were enslaved in Egypt and how they journeyed all the way to the promised land. You have Jacob and their conquering of the different people groups in the, in, the, in the promised land. You think of the return from exile. You think of Ezra. You think of Nehemiah. You think of the, the people who left Babylon and the Persian Empire and journeyed back to Jerusalem. Think of Paul's missionary journeys, right? He went on these great missionary journeys to spread the gospel to the Roman Empire. Think of the, the dispersion of believers when, when there was a persecution in Palestine because the Jewish people were persecuting Christians. And what happened? They, were, they journeyed out. They dispersed and went through other parts of the Near East. What is... What did Paul tell us the Christians in Ephesians 4? That we're always, we're walking, walking, we're journeying, right, as Christians, to walk in a manner of the Lord. He even says in, uh, in Ephesians 6, he tells about this armor that we will have, right? And what's the purpose of the armor? armor? To be faithful to Christ, be faithful to God's word while we journey to the coming kingdom. Christ journeys to earth, right? He journeyed to earth. Christ Jesus, the Son of God, the eternal Son. Who came to earth, who took on flesh and dwelt among us. He even says that Jesus was birthed. Like he literally, he came, he took on human flesh. He was human. He wasn't look, he didn't look human. He was human. This idea of journeying is all over the Bible. And Christ journeyed to Jerusalem, which says what? That he's journeying to the cross. He's journeying to death. Christ journeys to the cross to save. We know in Isaiah 53 that he is the suffering servant, right? Who came what? To be crushed, to suffer for the sins of many. What does Jesus say in Luke 19.10 when he talks to Zacchaeus? That I came to seek and save the lost. In Hebrews chapter 10, he came to save. He came to deliver. He came to deliver us from the dominion of darkness. He came to take on the form of a servant. He came to be crucified, to die. And so he goes from village to village, from town to town, journeying to where? To Jerusalem, to his death, to his suffering. Luke puts that in there to remind us, to remind the reader where the story is going. The story is going to the cross. And in the, during this time, this, this person asked Jesus a question. Someone, not, we don't know the, the identity of this person, someone asked Jesus a question in one of his campaign stops. I mean, his journeying from town to town thinks of like the old style of political campaigning. I don't know if you remember, if you've seen an old movie or well, they used to campaign through the train, right? They would stop in these towns and the politician who's running for president or whatever would come out to the head of the, to the end of the train and talk to the people, right? And obviously Jesus is not a political, he's not a politician, he's not a, a some, so he's not seeking office, his office is through the cross. And which is a great reminder for us as we are maybe frustrated with the uh, election going on right now, that these two men are looking to be politicians, to be presidents, where we should be trusting in, in our Christ Jesus who went to the cross. That was where he became king. Remind, that these terms, like going to Jerusalem, journeying from, to Jerusalem, reminds you where Jesus is going and where his throne is, which is through the cross. 
the Lord uh, will do those who are saved be few? This is what the questioner, the, the person asked. Lord, will those who are saved be few? So what is he talking about? What he brings in the word salvation. Are uh, who are, are those who are going to be saved? Those who are going to be receiving salvation from you? Are they going to be few, or will it be many? And the reason why they're asking this question is. There was a view in that time in Israel that God was going to save the entire people of Israel. That if you were an ethnic Jew, that God was going to save you and bring you into his kingdom. That's why they're asking him this question. Is that to be true? Will all Jews, will all of Israel be saved by you? First of all, we have to define what salvation is. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, which we were... We read yesterday, um, last week, Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. We are saved from sin. They're asking for salvation, not just with, with the idea of sin, but when it comes to political uh, salvation, that they would be saved from the Roman Empire, that their land would be restored, that their nation that they once had during the time of King Solomon and King David would return. That's not what Jesus came to do. That's not his form of salvation. That's actually not what they need. They don't need political salvation or political deliverance like they did in Egypt. They need spiritual redemption. We think of uh, Colossians 1, chapter 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transformed us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. Or 2, 10 and 11. For it was fitting that he, God, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Jesus' salvation has nothing to do with political conquest or some type of political or a national peace. What, what Christ's salvation is is spiritual peace with God. The wrath that is upon us because of our sin, God will reconcile us to himself through his son Jesus. That is the salvation that Jesus came to bring. So the quantity is not Jesus' issue here. And that's not even how he answers the question. He doesn't talk about quantity. Even though the, the person asks this question, hey, how many will be saved? Will it be few? It's not about quantity. It's about the quality. And the, the doctrinal view at that time, like I said before, is that all of Israel will be saved. So Israel was only focused on the quantity of how many people would be a part of God's kingdom. They didn't even think about how do you, how is someone saved. And at this time, Jesus' followers was, was slowly contracting. We know from John chapter 16, 14 through 15, that people started to fall away from following him because Jesus was speaking very hard things. He, as the disciples even said in chapter 6, he was speaking things that were hard to understand, and so they started to not follow him. What people wanted Jesus to do was to conquer the Roman Empire, to move the Romans out. They did not want actual salvation from their sins. And it's interesting how Jesus starts off in his ministry, he has all these people following him, right? He's doing all these miracles. 
He's feeding thousands upon thousands of people. But at the end of the story, how many people were actually following him? There was, the disciples had abandoned him when he was arrested. Then they only, only 10 of, 11 of them go to Galilee. And, and uh, at the upper room, on the, the day of Pentecost, there was only 120 people following Christ. So the quantity of people is not Jesus' issue. He talks about the attributes of the one who was saved. Affirming the thought of the person who asked the question. He is he's saying, few, why, what's, why uh, he, he says here that, uh, the, that the attribute or the character of the one who is saved is more important than the how many will be saved. And so he answers the question in the next verse, strive to enter through the narrow gates. Strive to enter through the narrow gates. So he doesn't say, yes, there will be few, or no, there will be many, or there will be all. He says, he answers by commanding the crowd of the people, strive to enter through the narrow gate, or the narrow door, or the narrow way. Strive is an interesting word. Strive means to fight, to labor. Strive. And it's in the present tense. Strive. Like, it's not something you should do later on when you get older, when you become more mature. Then you should strive. No, strive. Presently strive. And strive to enter through the narrow gate. As I said it before, John chapter 6, there was, Jesus was speaking hard things. He was calling himself, he was basically calling himself the Son of God, that he, he knew God, and to know God, you had to know him, and that caused people to call, call him a blasphemy, that he blasphemed the Lord. He was creating a narrow way. But this wasn't going to be a broad, popular uh, faith to follow. We think of Luke chapter 18, 22 through 23. Luke says, when Jesus heard this, he said to them, One thing you shall lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he, the ruler, the rich young ruler, uh, when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. The reason why I tell this story is because you have a man who who wants to follow Christ, right? He, he asks, how does one uh, receive eternal life? And Jesus says, well, follow the law. So I do all that. Well, then give everything that you have. And he was what? He was, felt rejected, and he walked away sad because he was too tied to his wealth. And what does Jesus say after that? It's almost impossible for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's a very narrow way. For him to strive... To enter into the narrow door was to do what? Give up all that he had. Because that is far more important to be with Christ, to be a follower of Christ, than to have all the wealth that he had. Traditions and money and ample goods won't allow you to fit through the gate. Why? Because it's narrow. It's not some broad gate. It's not some general gate or general door. It's a narrow door. And for the rich young ruler, his wealth was too, more, was too important for him to leave behind. So he refused to strive to enter through the narrow gates. Some will seek to enter but will not be able. How can someone seek salvation but fail to obtain it? As I mentioned, the rich young ruler, he wanted it, didn't he? He wanted eternal life. That's why he wanted to find Jesus to ask him, how does one enter into eternal life? How does one inherit eternal life? But the way was too difficult for him. He failed to obtain it. 
Think of the Pharisees as well. They also wanted to be children of God. They wanted to follow God. They wanted to be uh, obedient to God. But to follow God was to follow Christ, and they refused. And so they, they, they sought it, but they failed to obtain it. Their moralism and their self-righteousness prevented them from striving to enter into the narrow way. The, 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 the command that Jesus says in this chapter to repent, right? If you do not repent, you will, you will perish. He says in verse 5, true repentance, to be truly repentant, is one who will strive to enter into the narrow gate and actually obtain salvation. The self-love, love of money, love of the world, unbelief, these things prevent you from striving to enter into the narrow gate. But one who is truly repentant, someone who sees the sins in their hearts, and they what? They confess those, they repent to the Lord, and then strive to enter into the narrow gate. And Jesus says, strive, fight, labor to enter into the narrow gate. Throw off whatever is distracting. Throw off anything that prevents you from striving after Christ. If it's money, if it's relationships, if it's self-righteousness or moralism or love of flesh or love of lust, whatever it is, leave it behind. It doesn't fit. Leave it behind. Christ is far more important than the things you're leaving behind. And so he, co he continues here. He presents this kind of parable. That's the next point here. It says, do not delay from entering or journeying by another way. So he gives this parable to explain what he's talking about. And he's talking to the people. He's talking to the crowd. He's talking to Jews. He said, once the master of the house should rise and shut the door. So there's a narrow gate. There's a narrow way. And those who, who, who seek salvation should enter into the narrow way. They should fight. They should labor. They should strive to enter into the narrow way. Not only is it narrow, but it can be shut. He gives this parable. The master of the house, which basically is the identity of Christ Jesus. He's the master of the house. Even Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6 says that Jesus is faithful over God's house as a son. Salvation is through Christ. And so this, this parable is presented in a sense of urgency and desperation. Immediately strive to enter into the narrow gate. Do not delay. Do not delay. Enter into the narrow gate. Repent of your sins, or you will perish. Repent. Do not wait. Do not delay. Repent. Do not be distracted. The master is coming home. Do not be ready when he comes. You do not know the hour by which he comes. Be ready. Be prepared. Don't be distracted. Don't delay. What happens? The master of the house shuts the door. They then come. You, see how Jesus says, you, talking to the crowd, the person who asked the question is the other person. You begin to stand outside and to knock at the door. Lord, open up. We're come. We're here. We're here. Let us in. Let us in. Let us in. The master has done what? He has shut the door and gone to bed. You've delayed for too long. You've, you've, you've wasted too much time. You've been too distracted. You're not ready. The master has come back. And it's interesting because in the, in the next chapter, in chapter 14, Jesus gives the parable of the wedding feast. And he mentions a few different people who did what? They were asked to come to the wedding feast. And what did they do? They had excuses. 
for why they weren't going. One was that they had ample goods. They bought a field, right? They bought this field and they couldn't go. He had someone um, who had an oxen that he, he was going to purchase and he had to go see and, and view these ox. One had just gotten married and so was unable to uh, attend. A new house, a new job, the busyness of life. And because they were distracted, because they had excuses, they did not go to the feast. Because there's excuses, because there's distractions, they did not go to the door when it was open. It makes me think of children. Children, when they get a little bit older, they are really hard to get to eat dinner. Right? And so they're always like, no, no, I'm not hungry. I don't want to eat. Hey, eat your food. No, no, I don't want to eat. Eat your food. I don't want to eat. Eat your food. I don't want to eat. Then like two hours later, when it's bedtime, I'm hungry. That's what this is. The food is available. The feast is ready. It's perfectly, it's warm. It's good. The, the fellowship's around the table. And now you want to eat when it's past the time to eat. It's past the time. You've already brushed your teeth. You've already put your jobbies on. It's time to go to bed and you want to eat. Why did you not eat when you had, we had dinner? I was distracted. I didn't want to eat. I wasn't hungry. There was friends I wanted to play with. Distractions. Excuses. I mean, what does, and what's so interesting about this is that gee, the, the, the master of the house says, I don't know you. I, I don't know where you're from. Salvation is only through Christ. It's, only, it's by the narrow way. But if you do not go through Christ, you are left out. Which means that many people will be cast into hell who are good people, who are kind people, who are religious people, people of charity, wholesome people, good-hearted people. People who think, you have to understand the context of who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to people who think that they will be in the kingdom of God because they're Jewish, because they go to the synagogue. And Jesus is saying, you people are like the people outside the door who have been distracted and, and come up with excuses. You didn't want to enter into the kingdom, and the door is shut. It's too late. It's too late. But they go, well, we ate, and we drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. They're confused, right? You're going to be confused. Like, why would I be left out? Why, of all people, would we be left out of your kingdom? I mean, we're, we're familiar with you. We're in proximity to you. Right? We, we've heard the gospel. Right? We used to go to church. We used to do all these different things. But familiarity and proximity is not sufficient. Only trust in Christ. That's the issue with the world today because we are in this kind of tribalism today. Like everyone identifies with a particular group of people. And so there's a group of people, a lot of group of people, who identify as evangelical, meaning they vote as evangelicals. And they hold on to certain traditions and values as evangelicals. They support the overturn of Roe v. Wade, the pro-life. Their political views will not save them, though. It won't save them. And they'll be shocked when they face Christ, and they're like, well, of all people, we should be here. Like, we stood on the streets with the sign, pro-life, pro-life. But he's like, I don't know who you are. What do you mean you don't know who I am? I, I believe in the Jesus. I believe in the cross. I believe in everything about church and stuff. I don't know where you come from. Who are you? Who are you? Your labels 
do not qualify you. The question is, do you trust in Christ Jesus or not? Do you strive to enter into the narrow gate? Do you understand your sin and repent of those sins, knowing if you don't repent, you will perish? If not, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. He calls them workers of evil. Us? No way. We're not workers of evil. Now, the Romans, they're workers of evil. The Gentiles and the Greeks and all those people, no, they're workers of evil. Not us. People are looking for salvation and enlightenment in other places. Broad paths. More reasonable paths. More popular paths. More or less demanding paths. A path that allows you to be who you want to be, whatever lifestyle you want to have, whatever you desire to obtain or to own. Those are the paths that people are seeking after. Or, which is the more dangerous of the, of the two, is the hybrid approach. A little Jesus, a little religion, add some hipster style to yourself, right? So you're woke about the right things. And you try to be cool with everyone, make good money. And it's just like any millennial American, I would pretty much kind of put, which includes my generation, any millennial American who thinks a little Jesus, a, a little religion, a little style, a little, uh, a little wokeness, that will be good enough for God. But that's not, it's not sufficient. It doesn't, you're not striving to enter into the narrow gate. And then he mentions a list of people to these crowds of people. You have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. People who trusted in, in God, who strived to enter the hard and narrow path. Look at Abraham. Talk about someone who strived to enter into the narrow way. He strived. He was faithful to God. He, he, made, he, he made mistakes. He sinned, but he grew in his faith in God. As I was saying to someone recently, the, the Abraham of Genesis 12 is vastly different than the Abraham of Genesis 12, 22. When he, when he, sac, when he is willing to sacrifice his beloved son. Think of Ruth and Rahab and the disciples. Or any other uh, person in the Bible who strived to enter in a narrow way. They strive and fought to be faithful to God. Any other way leads to being cast out. The path of least resistance is the path to being cast out. It is the broad path. It is not the narrow way. And it leads to weeping and gnashing of teeth. These people know the gospel. That's why they're weeping. When they realize they've been cast out, they're shocked. They're surprised. Hell, hell will be filled with people who know all the, all the lines of amazing grace, yet they've never trusted it. They never trusted him. They thought that in and of itself, listening to good, good old gospel music was going to save them, but only Christ can save. So don't be, don't be cast out. Strive to enter into the narrow way. I mentioned in the game the title of uh, I'm Going on an Adventure. It's from The Hobbit, Bilbo Baggins. When he says this after he decides to go on the journey with, the, with uh, uh, Gandalf and the dwarves. Well, you remember the story he doesn't like the dwarves when they come and barge into his house and eat all his food. He doesn't like them, and he doesn't want to go on a journey with them. He wants them out of his way. He wants to sit quietly in his hobbit hole. He wants to smoke his pipe, drink his beer, eat his food, and enjoy the warm fire, enjoy books. That's what he wants. 
But what does he do? And I love it doesn't I don't know if the story mentions this, the book, I can't remember, but the movie doesn't really emphasize it. But what separates the hobbit hole from the journey? A narrow gate that he has to walk through. He has to walk through the narrow gate to go into the world, to journey with these dwarves, to go into the unknown. You have to strive. You have to recognize your sins and repent and trust in Christ. Knowing you have no idea what fallen Christ will lead to. But you know that you've been reconciled to God through Christ. The last point is this. Is salvation is given to a few, but is given to the nations and the unexpected. Salvation is given to a few, but is given to the nations and the unexpected. So Jesus basically answers this question in this long form, which he's loved. If you read the Bible, the Gospels, people will ask Jesus these questions, and then he'll answer a question with a question. And he always gives these unexpected answers to the people who ask him. So he gives this long answer to this person. He doesn't say yes or simply no. He gives this long dialogue. And he gives the, these, uh, this, this description of uh, the, the kingdom and who is going to be in the kingdom. He says here in verse 29, people will come from east and west, not from north and, and from north and south, and are client at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are some some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Again, he's telling these Jewish people, he's saying, you, if you don't strive to enter the narrow gate, if you don't repent of your sins and trust in me, you will not be in the kingdom of God. You will not be saved. But let me tell, let me burst your bubble even more. Not only will you not be saved if you just trust in your in your who you are ethnically as a Jew, or if you just trust in the law, or that you're a child of Abraham. If you think if you're not only am I bursting that bubble and telling you you're not going to be saved, but let me tell you the people who will be saved. It says Gentiles, those from the north and the south and the east and the west, the people who are outside the, the, the land of Palestine, those people will be saved. They'll do what? Recline at the table in the kingdom of God. They will be welcomed at the table of God. That's only reserved for Jewish people. Why are you saying people from all over will be a part of this? And he says, behold, some are last who will be first, and some who are first will be last. There's an overwhelming exclusion in this. There's an overwhelming equality in this. That just because you're Jewish doesn't make you first. Because those who you think are last will be first in my kingdom. This lavish banquet, this lavish feast, and the, and the Gentiles will be equal with the Jews. The disciples, and you think of all the different people that have been welcomed into the kingdom of God because of Christ. You think of the disciples of, of all people. These kind of ramsack group of people who, who Christ calls out to follow him, to be his chief followers. You think of the church in Philippi. The church in Philippi is interesting. Who is the people that are saved and started that church? You had, um, you had a, a jailer, number one, and you had this girl who was, uh, who was dealing with this demonic spirit who came to know Jesus Christ. These are the people that Jews, Jews had no, would not include in their kingdom and not include in their understanding of those welcomed at the table. You think of the person, uh, the story just, at, just ahead of this one, the disabled woman, a thief on the cross who trusts in Christ, a murderer in Paul, a Roman centurion 
Christ's kingdom is filled with the undesirables. And this is a total shock to the Jewish people. Total shock. So you're going to save a few people. Not only are you going to save a few people, but you're going to save those from all over the world, and you're going to save those who are completely unexpected that you would ever save them. Christ's kingdom, while different than we than the Jewish expect, is one of inclusion and equality. And the reason why I bring that up is that the, the way is narrow, but all are welcome to enter, and none are, whole, none are held back or excluded. I bring that up because I think it's important to say this at the end. Some of y'all know this statement because you read it and it made you really angry. But USI said recently that they deeply value and support diversity and inclusion for all. They say that. They believe that. But as we know from this week, they did not fulfill those words today. These words mean very little in a world that uses them to convince people of their fairness and upstanding nature. But they're limited in their value and support of diversity. They're limited in their value and support of inclusion for all. Which makes sense because they're a human institution. It makes sense because they're a worldly institution. The kingdom of Christ has a place for Seth Russell. The kingdom of Christ has a place for those who have Tourette. The kingdom of Christ has a place for you in your past sins, in your past guilt. It has a place for you. That we, we, we get so surprised when the world does exactly what they do, which is they say a lot of things, but they can't back it up. Why? Because they're not God, and they're not Christ Jesus, and their kingdom is limited. Ours is not limited. Ours is not limited at all. It is difficult to enter, right? Strive through the narrow gate. It's not some broad, easy believism. It's like, just say a few words, and you're a Christian. Just ask Jesus in your heart, son, and you will be a Christian. It's a narrow way. It's hard. But it's welcome for all to enter. Here is the condition to strive to enter through Christ. Don't hide in the warm, comfortable hobbit hole. Break through the narrow gate and journey with Christ. Let's pray. So Lord, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that it challenges us to strive every day to be faithful. Not meaning that we have to Earn our salvation by any means. But to affirm it, Lord, through our, our labor, through our fight, through our striving, Lord, to trust and be faithful, to repent of sin, Lord, to get rid of all distractions and, and all things that weigh us down, that prevents us from being faithful, either that being self-love, money, relationships, Whatever it is that we put before you, Lord, we put those away and strive to enter into an arrow gate. Lord, help us, Lord, who are Christians in this room, to continue to strive to be faithful to you. And for those who are outside the gate, who have not strived to enter, who are looking to enter into different other ways, or delaying, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would compel them to be faithful today, to strive to repent of their sins and put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ today. Today is the day of salvation, Second Corinthians says. Today, not tomorrow, not five years from now. 
and know that nothing they've ever done, no, no sins of their past, no guilt of their past, no medical condition, no mental condition, no, no condition, Lord, prevents them from entering in the gate. They all are welcome to enter. All are included with those who repent and put their trust in you, Jesus, and strive to enter. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for its challenge on us. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take the Lord's Supper now, and uh, I'm going to try to do a better job of reading all this this week. Um, but uh, for those who are, this is for those who are believers, and those who put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have trusted in Christ, if you've strived to enter into the narrow way, then you can take of the bread and the cup.